Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along uh, to the programme and sad to hear on the news there with uh, Barry of the death of Len uh, Goodman. And I see the BBC Director General Tim Davey saying that Len Goodman was a wonderful, warm entertainer. Len was at the very heart of Strictly Comes Dancing's success and he'll be hugely missed by the public and his many fans family and uh, friends yeah and and I know when he decided to step down from uh, Strictly in 2016 you know there was people saying oh it'll never be the same without Len he was always the head uh, judge uh, but his family saying that he passed away uh, peacefully in a hospice uh, yes last night at the age of uh, 78 may he rest in peace and I know he'll have a lot of Irish fans and there'll be a lot of people saddened by that news of the passing of Len Goodman may he rest in peace John Paul's taking your calls this morning 0818 103 103 coming towards the end of April will be it'll be this day next week will be the 1st of May and of course May can be a time a start for families particularly families with a lot of children where they already start to think about going back to school even though their sons and daughters won't have even broken up for this uh, term but if you've got more than one child you need to start planning the costs and try to spread the costs of going back to school over a number of months and many people as I say started as early as May and this year if you've got primary uh, school children you should be paying out less this year on back to school costs because of course for the first time in the history of the state the government will be covering the cost of uh, books and that should in some way ease the financial burden on uh, parents. Also it's going to save parents that huge hassle of trying to work through all of the book list and trying to find out have you all of the books, have you got them all covered, is there any book missing so it'll take a bit of hassle away uh, as well. And the rollout of this, it's going to be 50 million is what the Department of Education will be given to the 3,200 primary schools which are dotted all over the country. That's the money that's been set aside to cover the free book scheme. And the rollout of that grant is expected to start later on this week because obviously while the burden has been taken away from the parents, that burden now passes on to the principals and the teachers in the schools to make sure that they have all of the books ready for when the children go back in uh, September. And the annual funding, this £50 million divided between all of the primary uh, schools, uh, is expected to allow primary schools to buy the textbooks, to buy the workbooks for all of their uh, pupils. And the Department of Education are also expecting that there'll be money left over to buy other materials that may be needed in the classroom. 
classroom. But of course, now that we know the Department of Education will be paying out this money to primary schools, there's now a number of questions going on. What about the contributions that many schools seek from parents? Will those contributions still go ahead? And even though parents up to this have paid for their school uh, books, Many parents will say they have been asked to pay a certain amount of money to cover other materials. And the thought pattern now is that that contribution may still be asked. I mean, people will know, parents will know that some schools will ask for things like for photocopying and, you know, handouts that they give to the children in the classroom. The parents have to pay for the photocopying of whatever material the teacher is is handing out. And some are saying, will the grants that the department is given, will it be uh, enough? Now, how it breaks down is each school will receive €96 per pupil. And that it has to be ring-fenced for school books, the workbooks and for the copybooks and any other related classroom resources. I mean, that money, for example, can't be used if if a huge electricity bill comes in or for a heating bill. It must be ring-fenced for school books, the workbooks and anything else that's needed in the uh, classroom. And the department so far are saying that parents cannot be asked to contribute to the cost of those school books, the workbooks or other resources in the uh, classroom. But there may be a requirement for parents to buy some extra items for children to use. But schools, we're told now, are going to have to be very transparent about it. Now, we do know, and this is something that comes up every single year, the voluntary contributions that all schools, I don't think there isn't a school in the country that doesn't ask parents for a voluntary contribution. But, you know, the clue is in the title. It is a voluntary contribution, even though parents have often told us on this programme, even parents who are hugely strapped for cash, that they feel obliged to pay that voluntary contribution because they want to make sure that their child isn't treated any different in the school. And I'm not ever saying that a child would be treated differently because a parent didn't pay a voluntary contribution, but it is voluntary. But as I say, the majority of parents uh, do pay pay it and that's to meet specific expenses. And often the schools ask the parents to pay it in September, which is always a time when parents are already struggling to get the children back to school. But Anya Lynch, who is the CEO of the National Parents Council, she has come out and said that the book grant scheme, this 50 million, along with the funding that's paid to schools to meet that, they're all getting extra for the higher energy costs. And of course, every school gets a capitation grant per uh, pupil. She's saying that schools now are going to have to be very clear if they are asking parents for any for anything additional, if they are asking for any kind of voluntary contribution, she says if schools are saying that there is a gap in their finances, she thinks they need to be very clear about what that gap is and what they are asking parents to support rather than continuously asking for this voluntary contribution and the voluntary contribution nobody knows for sure where that money goes she says that schools need to be very careful that parents are not being asked to pay for something just in case we need it she reckons that that will not float well with uh, parents and and then of course as I say the grants this 50 million now is going to start to roll out to schools from later on this week and then it'll be up to the individual schools to decide what books they're going to have for next year. Uh, And obviously, you know, 
each teacher will decide for their classroom what books they want. But then it'll be up to individual schools where they actually buy their uh, books. And while some schools will buy from educational publishing companies, they'll go direct to the publishers. Local bookshops are really hoping that they will hold on to the business that they've already built up with parents through uh, local schools. And I saw in the Irish Independent today, Dawn Behan, who is chair of Bookselling Ireland, she says that the publishing companies have already promised that they won't undercut the bookshops. And the shops, of course, will also benefit from having access to a wider range of publishers. And that will allow uh, schools uh, to meet their entire needs by going to a local shop. And I really do hope that local shops are uh, looked after and that the schools will continue to buy books from the local book uh, bookshops. But only time will tell. But let me just stay on education for the moment. If you are in a rural area and your child goes on the school bus to school. The Education Minister Norma Foley is back out again this week encouraging all families who are intending on applying for the school transport services for the first time for the new school year to make sure that your child is registered by this Friday the 28th of April. The Bus Air and Family Portal is now open. This is for new applications for school transport services that will cover next September into the following year, so 2023 to 2024. Now, new applications are will be considered. That includes pupils who will be starting school for the first time, those going into junior infants in primary school, those going into first year in uh, secondary school uh, for the first time, and also pupils who may have moved addresses or who may be attending a new school for the first time. Minister Foley said that this year, now the fees are back for school transport, but they are much less. They've been capped this year. The charge is €50 for a primary school bus ticket and it'll be €75 for a child attending uh, secondary school. And that obviously is again in the government response to the rising cost of living last year. Remember, they gave the free school bus transport to all. Now that did cause a bit of consternation because more people who wouldn't have applied on previous years decided to apply because it was uh, free. But they haven't had a reduced cost and a seriously reduced cost because it will mean that the maximum amount any family will pay would be €125, Euro, 75 for one in secondary school and 50 for one in primary school. And that's got a potential saving of up to uh, €500 Euro because it had been, uh, the minimum before had been €625 Euro that a family could pay. So there is a, a good, good saving there. Any new application made after next Friday, that then goes into the the pile marked late applications. And if you go in under late applications, it means that your sons or daughters may not be guaranteed a seat. A late application may also mean that a ticket is simply not available. Now, applications can be made by visiting busairon.ie forward slash school transport. Obviously, all the eligibility criteria that continues to apply how far away from the school you actually uh, live. And the Bus Air and Family Portal then will be open for payments for school transport for next year. Uh, up until the 9th of June but make sure your child particularly if it's your first time that they are registered by the closing date of this Friday. I need to take a quick break and then uh, when I come back we're going to be talking about how uh, Irish identities, things like your your password, your PPS number your name, your address, how they are being stolen and then sold on the dark web. What are the implications if your ID 
is stolen and sold on the dark web and we know there has been major data uh, breaches and of course we are constantly highlighting the many scams that are doing the rounds at the moment you know a lot of a lot of people are in danger of having their identity stolen what does it actually mean when we talked about that and how do we protect ourselves that's coming up next Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Today on C103. Now, last week, the Irish Daily Mail newspaper ran a front page story outlining how Irish identities are being stolen and sold online for as little as €25 to find out what's going on and how we can protect ourselves. I'm joined by Neve Davenport of the Banking and Payments Federation of Ireland. Good morning to you, Neve. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And uh, always great to talk to you. Now, we've had a number of major data breaches in this uh, country. Is that where the fraudsters are getting this information about us from? Yeah, there's two different ways. So one of them would be data breaches. And as you said, we've had a number of data breaches in this country. Um, we They're not always associated with that, but that is one way. The other way, and I, this is something that consumers themselves can take care of, is look after their financial details and Things like if you get, you know, the text message scams, for example, if you click on the link and you're brought to a website and you're putting in your card details, it's a fake website and and they could be harvesting your details from there. Or if you see kind of ads online that maybe, you know, really good promotions or special offers and something and they end up being a fake website as well, that's the other place that they could be harvesting your details from. And if a criminal does get your name, address and some form of, of an ID, what can they do with that information? Depending on the level of um, information that they have, so the, ba- the most basic one, I think, that the article referred to last week was just your credit card details, and they can sell them on for maybe €10 Euro on what's called the dark web. Uh, if they get more information, you're, you're, the more information that they have about you, the more valuable it becomes. And what can happen, they could even open a bank account if they have a certain amount of level of detail, or apply for loans, or different things like that. So it is really important to keep your financial details and your personal details safe, because the two go hand in hand. And you would literally not be aware that this is going on? No, depending on, uh, like I said, what information they have about you. And that's why it's really important to kind of think about what information you have out there, what you're clicking on, where you're going. And even particularly on social media as well, what what information have you got up there? And it's not just on maybe one social media platform, but across the number, you, you know, you might have LinkedIn and you have your job profile and what you do up there. You might have Facebook or Instagram and your personal life is up there. It might be up if you play in your local GA club or, you know, the detail, your, your your hobbies and different things like that. It's, it's very easy to get a lot of information about people very quickly. And these criminals are good at what they do? Oh, yeah. These guys are professionals. This is not somebody, you know, just chancing their arm. What, what I want to say, this is organised crime. This is, you know, people organising themselves, getting up. This is their business. This is how they make their money. So... They're very good. This is, and if you have fallen victim, or you even think you may have fallen victim, you should report it to Ancardia Corner and also report it to your bank. And the reason being, the more information we can give Ancardia Corner, the more they can build profiles and cases. And even if you haven't fallen victim, they, you might have a piece of information that can help fill in a gap. Yeah, because certainly over the years, Neve, we I would have heard from people who had unfortunately been uh, scammed, and you would hear from some people who are embarrassed to say. Mm-hmm that they got scammed and therefore may not decide to report? Never be embarrassed. And it's a bit of an Irish thing. I think we're afraid to kind of say that we've been fallen victim. But that exactly is what you are. It's a victim. These guys, like you said, these are professionals. They know what they're doing. Even if you think of the, you know, the scams where we get people calling us on the phone, 
they're very good. They're, you know, um, they use their kind of personality and their charm. They know the script. They'll play call centre, you know, background music, for example. And they'll even be able to transfer you to a supervisor. So they, these, like, this is not, you know, what we saw maybe years ago where we got an email and there was bad grammar in it or something like that. These guys, like I said, they're professionals and they know what they're doing. We seem to be hearing, Neve, from our listeners almost on a daily basis about uh, scam text and uh, scam emails. Are they just increasing on a daily basis? They are. And what I'd say is um, we've done a lot of work over the years where they were impersonating banks and we've done a lot of education and awareness around that. And while they still will impersonate banks, um, they are now impersonating other companies because they see that as a route to kind of get again to the consumer. So we've seen the HSE, for example, uh, fake text message saying you're close contact of COVID, clicking mm. the link to buy an antigen test. Um, we've seen the toll roads being affected recently. That's a, a huge one. Uh, customs. What I would say is whether it's your bank, whether it's any other company, if you get a text message from a company, do not click on the link. Now, I know companies use links and we advise them not to. Do not click on links. If there's a link, that is your first red flag that it could be a fake text message. If it, if you think it may be genuine, so if it is a company or you are expecting a package and you want to pay a customs, go to the website directly and log into the website. Do not click on the link because you have no idea if that's a true true link or not. Yeah, or if there's a phone number on it, don't use the phone number that came in exactly. on the on the text. Yeah. Uh, so you would say never, ever interact with an unsolicited communication from even if it comes in a thread, because at one stage they were using the same thread that you might have genuinely got a text from your bank, for example. Yeah, so what I'd say is never click on links in text messages and never in- engage in that manner. The only way you'll get a text message, and this is how you'll know it's genuine, if they're not actually asking you for any details or they're not asking asking you to verify by inputting details. So, for example, and it's very successful in preventing fraud, if you're, the bank text, uh, the bank scams, or sorry, excuse me, the bank texts are where they say, you know, there may be fraud on your account. Please verify by replying Y for yes or N for no. Mm. They're not asking you to click on links. They're not asking you for any information. Just simply yes or no. That's fine. But if you click on a link or you're brought to a website somewhere, it's a no-no. Yeah, yeah, you should know straight away. Uh, it's it's yeah. interesting when you mentioned the e-flow, the tolled roads uh, mm-hmm. one. I, uh, I was away on holidays uh, two weeks ago uh, and uh, so I was on the tolled road. Now, I had paid my toll in advance and I'd, I'd, I'd done all of that. But as soon as I arrived in Spain, I started getting these scam texts. Now, I knew immediately that they were scam texts, but I got a series of them. I'd say I'd won every single day uh, while, while I was away. Was that just a coincidence or did they somehow know that I was on a tolled road? I, I would suspect it's a coincidence um, because there's so many of those text messages going around at the moment. I think everyone in our office here has nearly got one as well at this point. So there's so many of them going around. Like for all just can send out about 50,000 text messages in the space of half an hour. So by, by the end of the month, I'd say nearly everyone in the country will have had one. Um, so it, it's probably just coincidence. And they're hoping for those type of coincidences that, you know, you have used the toll road or if you use it daily going to work, for example. Yeah you are going to be likely to say, Jesus, is this something happened there? Do I need to did I not make my payment? And the other thing I would say is, um, as we know, the two banks are leaving and obviously we have one bank closed their branches last week. People are changing their bank account and they're changing, uh, with a new bank account comes new card details. So you may be thinking, God, I do need to update my details because I've had a new bank card. But again, I would just encourage people to go directly to websites or to the places. And if you think about your, your eFlow, maybe your Netflix, um, your car parking, if you use you know, the, the parking tag, mm. for example, 
all of those you will need to update your card details. So just make sure you do it independently and directly yourself or anywhere else that you may have your card details saved. Don't click on the links again. I, I, I always say I'm going to go to my grave saying don't click on the links, but it's really <laughs> the best piece of advice I can give. <laughs> and, and I saw in that article last uh, week, you're also concerned about money uh, mules. Just uh, remind us what a money mule is. So money mules is where, so any of these frauds, for example, they need to move the money through an account. And they're recruiting generally younger people from around 18 to 24, but we've seen younger and we've seen older. But they're asking people, can they use their bank accounts for a fee? So they'll transfer um, maybe, you know, a couple of thousand euros through a bank account and the person's bank who owns the bank account will get a, say, commission fee, per se, out of it. This is an illegal activity. And I think people who are money mules, when they're, they're desperate for cash, so they, you know, especially with the cost of living crisis, we are seeing other people being lured into it. But it is a criminal offence and you can face imprisonment. You also face other consequences um, down the line. You know, you, financially, you might not be able to ever apply for a mortgage. You can't apply, apply for a visa maybe to go to Australia or America. So there are implications. And what I would say is people seem to think it's a, it's a harmless crime, but that money has to be coming from somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's coming from people that have been defrauded. And then what is that money being used for? And unfortunately, it's being used for drug trafficking. It's being used for organised crime, gun trafficking, and it's even being used for human trafficking. So well, it's used for really, I mean, I think if people understood that the flow of us, they'd be less likely to be tempted into it. It certainly isn't a, a victimless crime for sure. No. And do they have a tendency, the criminals involved in, in getting people sucked into this money muling? Am I right in thinking it's younger people? Who might have a lot of money? People. Yeah, with not a lot of money. You know, maybe people in college who don't have time necessarily with lectures to get jobs or can't get jobs because there's not a lot of part-time jobs anymore either. And, you know, they're trying to pay rent maybe at college, just day-to-day living expenses. And that's why we have seen with the cost of living crisis, maybe people who wouldn't have been in that age bracket as well be tempted into it. And I think they just think, oh, yeah, sure, of course you can put some money in my bank account and give me 50 euro. What, what, what's the harm? Mm. But don't, they don't understand where the money is coming from. Um, you know, it could be coming, like I said, from these text message scams or we've seen a lot of businesses affected by um, scams called invoice redirection scams, email scams. So again, it could be your local coffee shop or, you know, uh, your hairdressers, your solicitors, your doctors. If you realise that those people were losing money and people in your community were losing money and that's what, where that money was coming from, you'd be less likely to do it. Yeah, and we've had a couple of very sad cases that we've featured on the programme, you know, of elderly people who've been scammed out of their life savings. You know, it's not even a huge sum of money, but it's just dreadful to think about it. Okay, uh, you always are a mind of information, uh, Neve. Thank you for that. Have a lovely day and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Neve Davenport. And Neve is with the Banking and Payments Federation. As she says, never, ever click on an unsolicited link or email that uh, comes into you, particularly if they're looking for any kind of information from you. Now, the family of Limerick businessman Jason Corbett are reported to be devastated with the news that the retrial of his killers, Molly and her father Tom Martins in the States has been postponed now until November of this year. Ralph Regan of the Irish Independent joins me with the latest on this and of course Ralph co-wrote a book about Jason's brutal murder uh, with Jason's sister Tracy Corbett Lynch but Ralph joins me this morning. Good morning to you Ralph. Good morning Patricia. I was so saddened when when I, I read this this, um, your, your piece last week. Okay, so when was the retrial due to begin and why do we know at this stage uh, that it was postponed? Yeah, uh, the pre-trial submissions were due on June the 12th. 
and they were scheduled to start swearing in the jury on June the 26th. And depending on who you talk to, that trial or retrial, um, to be correct about it, is, was expected to last between six and eight weeks. And then in a bombshell announcement last week, um, it was some, the family were suddenly informed that the trial, the retrial wasn't going ahead on June the 26th. It had actually been pushed back until November the 6th, which is a delay of literally five months. And from the family's point of view, they had been pushing very hard to have the retrial last year. They were very disappointed that the retrial was scheduled for for June for the simple reason that um, Jason's two children, Jack and Sarah, they're both in in critical uh, years in their secondary school education. Jack is scheduled to start sitting his, his leaving cert the first week in June, and then Sarah is going into her leaving cert year um, for next year. So, like, it couldn't have been worse for the two children in terms of trying to stay focused on their studies while yet being aware of this case looming in the States, where, of course, both of them may actually have to give sworn evidence during the retrial. Did they give a reason for the postponement? Uh, There was no detailed reason given, but we understand, Patricia, that it was due to um, the defence had... Essentially, disclosure happened in March. And just to explain to your, your listeners what that means is that there's a procedure in law whereby both sides must basically reveal what they're going to deal with during the trial process. And that allows each side to examine and prepare for whatever submissions that the other side are going to make. And it appears that the defence had made various submissions, which the prosecution reckoned was new, and that they needed extra time to prepare Ah. or to respond to those submissions. We've got to go back. Uh, it'll be eight years, it's hard to believe, uh, this August since uh, Jason Corbett was uh, brutally murdered. Uh, just remind us what happened on that night. Yeah, I mean, so for people that are not familiar with the case, it, it's an appalling um, thing that has been dragged. Essentially, the family have been caught in this judicial uh, mincing machine for eight years. And it all started um, the August weekend of uh, 2015. Jason Corbett, um, he was a, a businessman from Limerick. He worked within the packaging industry. He married a girl from Limerick, and very tragically, she died about two months after the birth of their second child, Sarah. So he, um, Margaret Fitzpatrick, she had a very severe asthma attack, and despite the very best efforts of paramedics and doctors at University Hospital Limerick, they couldn't save her. So her death left her husband, Jason, with two children aged two years and younger, now, he was managing with the great support of his family for about the first year, 18 months. But then he decided he needed to get a little bit more independent and he wanted to have separate baby-minding arrangements because, of course, he was working full-time. So he had a couple of au pairs, decided that really was only a temporary arrangement and decided he was going to opt for a full-time nanny. Unfortunately for him, um, who had responded to that advert for a nanny was Molly Martin's. Now, she was a young woman from just outside Knoxville in Tennessee. She was not a qualified nanny. She had no experience in it. She had a history of mental health problems, but it appears that she identified working with children as a way. She seems to have this huge interest, if not obsession, with with children, and that perhaps her own problems could be mitigated by working with children. So she arrived. She looked after Jason's two children very quickly, and they developed a relationship um, despite the concerns of Jason's family, that relationship became much more serious. 
and the couple married in June of 2011. About five to six weeks after the marriage, Molly went to a divorce attorney to determine her rights to the two children, at which point she was told she had none because she was not the birth mother. She had the right to 50% of all of Jason Corbett's assets, but she had no right to the two children. And that commenced a four-year campaign by her, and particularly by her father, Tom, who kept encouraging Jason to sign adoption papers for the two children. Things reached um, a peak uh, coming up to August 2015. Jason's family maintained he was about to bring the children home amid concerns about his wife's increasingly bizarre behaviour. Tragically, in the early hours of August the 2nd, he was discovered with horrific head injuries. Uh, He had been beaten to death by uh, Molly and by his father-in-law, Tom. Now, Tom was a retired FBI agent. He had been working as a counterintelligence operative with the U.S. Department of Energy. Both Tom and Molly insisted they acted in self-defense, that they had been, uh, that Molly had been attacked by Jason during the night. But whereas the, the injuries to Jason's skull was so horrific that a pathologist, Dr. Craig Nelson, couldn't even count the number of blows that had been sustained, both Tom and Molly were found totally uninjured at the scene. After an investigation, they were both charged with second-degree murder. And in a trial that lasted between July and August 2017, Tom and Molly were unanimously convicted of second-degree murder and sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison. They immediately appealed, and after serving about three and a half years of prison time, they finally won their appeal before the North Carolina um, Supreme Court. They'd also won a victory in the North Carolina Court of Appeals. The Supreme Court quashed the conviction, recommended or ordered a retrial, which was up at the behest of the prosecution. And we've been waiting really for the last two and a half years, it'll be almost three years, um, waiting for that retrial to take place. It's incredible. It, it really is just uh, incredible. And what if, or do we know what Tom and Molly Martins have been doing since they were released or is anything known about them? Yeah, we do know a little bit. Um, Tom has been keeping, essentially staying off the radar. He has been living at his home in Knoxville uh, in Tennessee. Uh, There were reports about a year ago that he had various health issues, but he has really just been spending time with his family and living at home. Molly, for her part, when she was released, um, she went home for, I think, a month or two. And then with one of her brothers, she went on an extended uh, trip across America with lots of photographs and bits and pieces being posted on social media. And now they have attended a number of the the court appearances leading up to the retrial. Most recently, um, they attended a hearing in February in uh, North Carolina. At that point, everyone thought that the retrial was going to happen in June. But of course, the bombshell announcement is it's not going to happen until next November. And I should stress the major concern that the family have is that there could be yet further delays which could push the retrial back into 2024. Oh, and, and I remember in the early days of, of this case, uh, Ralph, I mean, Molly Martins had just this obsession, I suppose is the only word, with uh, young Jack and uh, Sarah. And I remember watching her and trying to follow her social media posts where she was trying to reach out to yep. the children. Has all of that stopped? It has, for the simple reason that there were a number of kind of court orders and a number of legal matters that arose over it. So what had happened was that Molly was kept posting photographs of the two children. Um, I suppose for listeners that are not familiar with the case, um, after Jason was found beaten to death, Molly immediately moved to try and secure custody of the two children. And, you know, to put it in context, 
killing um, Jason Corbett, um, she had effectively rendered them orphans because, of course, they had lost both parents with the death of their father. There was a very high-profile custody hearing. Of course, um, Tracy Corbett Lynch and her family very bravely and very determinedly opposed custody because they believed there was much more to this case uh, than, than meets the eye, as, as was justified by the, the, the murder charges that subsequently came. So they, they challenged the custody, and uh, a judge in North Carolina granted full custody uh, of Jack and Sarah to um, Tracy and her husband Dave. The two children were immediately flown back to Ireland, and that's where they have been based since. But there were numerous attempts by Molly to reach out to the children, uh, firstly through social media, then uh, there was an attempt to put a full-page advert in a paper in Limerick in a bid to try and contact the children. And then, even though this sounds so bizarre, but it actually is true, they attempted to hire an aircraft to carry a sign and fly the sign over the school where they believed the children were attending. Uh, and how are um, Sarah and uh, Jack? I mean, I, I follow Sarah on uh, social media. What a lovely young yeah. uh, girl she's growing up to be. It, 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 I, I don't use the word inspiring lightly, but I think that's about the only word you really could use in this context because when you see those two children and everything that they've gone through in their short lives, to see them as positive and as talented and as kind and generous as they are, it truly is inspirational. I mean, if you look at Jack, he's a really good rugby player, um, a very good student, um, incredible, um, both in terms of playing the organ, in terms of playing guitar, writes his own songs, puts stuff up on YouTube. Um, if you look at Sarah, she's written a book. She wrote a book, I think, at only 14, 15 years of age. Um, that book was very much aimed at helping children that had suffered loss. She is brilliant at drama. She's very good at dance, very good at singing. Um, in the middle of lockdown, where the family were based, um, she used to put on impromptu shows by the side of the road to try and entertain the neighbours. So just, I mean, they really are two yeah. incredible, resilient, brave and very talented children. Uh, Tracy and her husband have done a, a fine job and I know all the Corb, extended Corbett family with all the involved. It's a, it's a credit, I suppose, to each and every one of them. And of course, they were too young to have given evidence at the first trial. Correct. They, they would have both been very, very young. Of course, the original trial was in 2017. We're six years on now. So, uh, I mean, Jack is, is an adult, 18 years of age. Um, Jack, of course, did write a very, very powerful victim impact statement, which was delivered after the conviction uh, in August of 2017. And both children have really stressed that they want to support the prosecution in any manner that they possibly can including giving evidence. So both children on a previous trip to North Carolina with um, with, with Dave and Tracy had, had given sworn deposition to prosecutors. And it is expected that um, if certain evidence is introduced um, by the defence, then the children will be called uh, to give evidence to the retrial. OK, we're going to, as you say, along with the family, waiting now until uh, November and fingers crossed that it will go ahead in November. And as I mentioned in the, in the introduction, you did write that really gripping, it's a very sad read, but a really gripping book uh, with uh, Jason's uh, sister, Tracy, My Brother Jason. That book is still available. That, it, it is indeed. And, and thanks as always for the kind words, Patricia. OK, listen, thank you uh, for joining us this morning, Ralph. Thanks for that. 
Good morning. Good morning to you. That is uh, the wonderful Ralph Regal, a journalist with the Irish uh, Independent. Breathe in malice as well done to uh, Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent for keeping us updated on the Jason Corbett uh, story. It's hard to believe that it's eight, nearly, it'll be eight years in August of this year since uh, Jason Corbett was uh, brutally murdered. Breathe this as my heart goes out to his family, particularly the two uh, children. Yeah, and any delays, they just need to have this story behind them so that they can move on with their lives. 0818 103. John Paul continues to take your calls. Text and WhatsApps welcome to 0862 103 103. A break and news at 11 on the way. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hi, Patricia. Uh, this is from a Killarney listener. Good to have you along. I was in Mallow on Saturday. There was a lady outside the church who sang and one of the songs was in her own language. She was outstanding, absolutely brilliant. Well done to her, says this Killarney listener. Now, I don't know who that lady was that was singing. Was it somebody busking or the Okana Fest was on on Saturday? I wonder, was it one of the Mexicans who were over? Ruben Okanas, the group that arrived from Mexico. Anybody know who that was? Somebody singing outside the church and in particular sang a song in her own language. Love to know who that person was uh, so that we could publicly recognise her great singing voice. But thank you to that listener in Killarney for taking time out to text us. And Joan has also been on by text say Patricia I felt I had to send you a text to see what other women's views are on this it is to it it is regarding a television ad it is the television ad for Tenna pads especially the one where the woman is sitting on the toilet displaying the pad to me and all and sundry is it not gone a little bit too far it's like an invasion of a woman's privacy next she'll be showing us how she puts the pad on or maybe even going further I think this ad is a disgrace and I'm not old fashioned by any means but I do feel that this particular ad for Tenna ladies is over the top I would love to know what other people think about it kind of and that's from uh, Joan. And I know, I know straight away the ad. I remember the first time I saw it, I think it was a bit bizarre because it is the woman sitting on the toilet going to the loo. You can see, I mean, it, I mean, she's not showing any of, her, any of her private parts, but you can clearly see that she's doing her business on the toilet and she's talking all about how wonderful uh, the ten pads are and they are wonderful and, you know, etc. Uh, but yeah, is it a bit too much to have somebody actually sitting, sitting on... No, I don't think the actress who was used was actually going to the toilet. I'm assuming she wasn't doing her business while she was being filmed, but the ad is set up to make it look like she's having a pee, I take it, at the time. How do others feel about that? Joan feels a disgrace, an invasion of a woman's privacy and it is over the top. And she's particularly looking for other women's views but we will also take men's views on this as well because maybe men see this ad and think it's a bit over the top as well. Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103 or like Joan you can text her WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Now dog lovers I'm assuming everywhere will have had absolutely huge sympathies for President Michael D. Higgins and his wife Sabina with the news at the weekend and actually President Michael D. himself paid tribute to his beloved Bernese mountain dog Broad who sadly passed away on Saturday. The 11 year old had been a regular at the Aorus and was President Higgins was always by President Higgins side particularly if you ever saw any of the garden parties or when any of the foreign dig 
dignitaries arrived. There were some very funny shots up on social media of Michael de Higgins attempting to do an interview and the dog was beside him and he was trying to keep the dog uh, quiet and out of shot. And you could always see whenever Michael D. Uh, was with, in particular this dog Broad, you could always see the wonderful bond that they had. So they issued a statement on social media to say Michael D. Higgins, the president and his wife Sabina, are sad to confirm that Broad, one of the two Bernese mountain dogs, has passed away at just past the age of 11. Broad was 11 years and two months at uh, Oris Anukteron, having come to the Oris as an eight-week-old puppy. Broad was very much a very much loved dog by all who met him and he enjoyed meeting with the thousands of members of the public who came to Oris Anukteron over the years and he was probably one of the most photographed dogs in Ireland, said the President. He'll be missed by the President, Sabina and all at the Oris, particularly Mishnock, the President's remaining dog who is two and a half, year old, two and a half years old at this stage and who had shared his space with Broad over recent months and was his constant companion, aware of Broad's situation and the younger dog was very attentive to him. Wouldn't that break your heart? The President's dogs, of course, have become kind of mini, little mini celebrities. They have an unofficial social media account in their own names and they've attracted thousands upon thousands of uh, followers. And they were also only last week the focus of global attention when videos of the younger dog, Mishnock, snubbing the US <laughs> President Joe Biden on his visit to Oris and Nukdron. That went viral and it was reported around the world. And I think at the time, Michael D was explaining that uh, Mishnock came to the Oris during COVID times. So there hasn't been, there wasn't as many visitors, obviously, when he arrived as opposed to when Broad was there. So he's he's only starting to get used to having a lot of people in and out through uh, Oris on Uktaron. But but you couldn't help, but your heart would just break for, for the president and for Sabina and indeed all of the staff because he was there over 11 years uh, with him there and just a much, much loved dog. And actually talking of President Michael D. Higgins and the wonderful house that he lives in Oris on Uktaron. He's not only sharing it with dogs, there is the possibility that in the not too distant future he could be sharing the Oris with refugees because Patrick O'Donovan who is the Minister of State with responsibility for the Office of Public Works and obviously Oris and Uktaron comes under uh, the Office of uh, Public Works. He's confident that some of the Oris could be used to accommodate Ukrainian refugees and he's now instructed his officials to write to the President about the possibility of Orsa Nukturan hosting some of the Ukrainian refugees. Now he was speaking in the Sunday Business Post yesterday and Minister Patrick O'Donovan said we're very conscious of the social conscience of President Higgins. It's renowned and uh, he wants and if he wants to do something in that space he said I'm sure that there could be some accommodation that the OPW could arrive that Minister O'Donovan added that there obviously are security issues to contend with as well as making sure that housing refugees wouldn't interfere in any way with the work of the uh, President. Now there are 90 rooms in Oris on Uktaron. Now many of them are used for official events but it seems at the moment there are five empty bedrooms at the property because obviously President Michael D. Higgins and Sabina, they're the only two there. They don't have a, a large extended family uh, living with them. So there's bedrooms certainly uh, going 
going to spare. President Michael De Higgins had previously spoken about housing refugees at the Oris, but at the time he said it wasn't his decision. So it's interesting now that Patrick O'Donovan says, look, if he's up first, then we'll be up first uh, as well. And I know Independent TD Carol Nolan, she was one of the first to call on the president to set an example and to particularly to set an example like the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar has done because Leo Varadkar and his his partner, they've welcomed, they have a Ukrainian woman refugee uh, living with them and, and she's been there I think with them since the early days when refugees started to come uh, into this country. And then just last month, the Mayo Fine Gael uh, County Councillor, a guy by the name of Tom Connolly, he urged the president to open the doors of Orsanuktalon. He says, I hear Michael De Higgins saying we should embrace inclusion, which is fine. I've no problem with that. But he points out that he has got 90 rooms in Orson Ukhtarom. Why doesn't he take in some Ukrainians? So we'll, we'll watch that with uh, great interest. But I think Michael De Higgins would be well up for it if the OPW and the fact that Minister Patrick O'Donovan with responsibility for the OPW doesn't seem to have an issue once they get over all the security and that it doesn't interfere with the work of the uh, president. Is that something others would feel is the right move and is the right thing to do when we know people all over the country have opened up their homes to Ukrainian refugees. We know we have a problem housing not our own, but we certainly have a problem housing refugees at the moment. Would you like to see uh, refugees, Ukrainian refugees, be hosted at Orsanukdalum with Michael De Higgins and Sabina? Your thoughts welcome to 0818 103 103. John Paul's taking calls. You can text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. County Park Hotel, they've got a vacancy at the moment for a Deputy General Manager. You need to reply by email, please, to mcarolyn at clonakiltyparkhotel.ie. Qualified mechanic is required for Munster Van uh, Centre. You email harvillgrove at gmail.com. An Arctic tipper driver is wanted for the Mallow area. The number to call is 087. 2514711. Why ground workers are wanted to work in Carry Tool. You apply uh, with your CV, please, to jobs at HamiltonFrench.com. You'll find all the details and many more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Now, the Seashock Leo Varadkar has said the figures from the Central Statistics Office suggesting that more than half of women in Ireland have experienced sexual violence are shocking. But Cork Sexual Violence Centre co founder Mary Critty said she's not surprised by the results of this survey. And uh, Mary Critty takes time out to join us. This this morning. Good morning to you, Mary. Good morning, Patricia. Good morning. I know, I, I, I know to you, because of the work that you do, you're not uh, shocked, but I think people all over the country were truly shocked uh, by the results of this survey. But do you feel the publication of this CSO survey should be a wake-up call to the country about the prevalence of sexual violence? I think it should, and I think it's very welcome. Like, I would question some of the language they use in these surveys. Like, I know there's a woman, Helen McGrath, who did amazing stuff from the Central Statistics Office over five years to get this moving and to do it. Like, she just did phenomenal work. But you have language in it, like sexual intercourse with a child, which I kind of quite find very questionable because sometimes language can minimise what's going on. And I suppose I'm not surprised, but I did find it very disappointing. 
I would have believed 20 years ago when the first survey was done, when it showed that one in five girls and one in, uh, one in five girls, yeah, and one in seven boys were abused to children. I would have hoped that was just um, uh, after all the institution abuse come to the fore and that kind of thing. Um, but to see that still at the same extent, I think it's just horrifying in this day and age in Ireland and that 40% of people in this country are sexually abused or raped and 52% of them are women and 26 or something percent of them or 28% of them are men, which is quite high. It is shocking. And we do need to wake up about it. But we're not seeing cases go before the courts. Are, are, are many simply just not reporting? Well, 80% are raped by somebody they know. And often these guys are very close to home. They're your brother's friends or your, you know, your husband's best friends. They're very close to home where they know the likelihood of them getting um, reported very very low, but then the likelihood of them even being convicted is even lower, so they can just do it. There's no consequence, there's no sanction. And I think also um, families will encourage the victim not to report it because they're worried about the victim. They're worried about them going through all this hassle, but they rarely kind of will confront the perpetrator, you know, and about his behaviour. You know yourself, we've met many young girls who have said, I know people in my or I know people in my school who've been raped or who've been abused. But I don't know how many times I've met women who have sons who say, well, thank God none of my son's friends would ever do this. They are doing it. There has to be some boys doing it because the girls aren't assaulting themselves and the boys aren't assaulting themselves. And that's why I find frustrating the, the, the kind of rape of kind of young people that can be stopped if we wake up and say, look, it's really hard to acknowledge that this young guy who you think is really a nice guy is doing this. But he is. And of course, sexual violence doesn't always mean rape. Oh, it doesn't. You're talking about, you know, any kind of groping, any kind of language, any kind of harassment, you know, and, and even harassment online, which people find terrifying. At least, you know, they'd say it was the rape was horrific, but the stalking afterwards or the ongoing harassment was even worse. You know, so it is all forms of sexual violence that, that they've studied in the CSO. But in a country like this, where we think we're ahead of the game, um, where we think we know right from wrong and we're allowing that happen. And we're still using the language of so many got raped instead of so many men, which would be the minority, are raping because it's the same men who are doing it. It is the same men who are doing it. The average good man in this country who hates injustice isn't waking up in the morning and saying, I'm going to assault somebody today. They, they do it in their teens and that's when they start and they continue that behaviour. Yeah, and if they think they can get away with this, then, and they are getting away with this, so therefore it will continue. It will, and they're kind of told, like, sure, she was asking for it, it was no harm. Yeah, look at the, look at the way she, she was dressed. Awake. Yeah, and yeah. she wasn't even awake during it. You know, and I've seen it coming back in bits and pieces into court cases where, you know, what she wore is coming up again in court cases, which wouldn't have come up in donkey years. You know, that was in the old days. Um, and even though we have a, a good definition of consent, it still comes up in court cases. So, But even what I'm finding really good, though, I mean, I, I know we can kind of all look at this and feel overwhelmed and feel down and feel there's no point. From my point of view, is more people are telling their families, they're telling their dads, who they hate telling because they don't want their dads to look at them yeah. differently. It might be a daddy's girl, but they're telling them and they're being believed. That's Whereas good. 10 that years is. ago, they'd be coming in here and they'd be saying, I told my parents, but they didn't believe me because they didn't believe this guy was so capable of doing it. And we must remember that the perpetrator 
grooms everybody around him, not just the victim. You know, that she might say, how could he do this? He was my best friend or, you know, a young girl who might be dealing with her sexuality and might say, he knew I was gay. Why did he do this? You know, she they really can't comprehend why a best male friend might do this because most male best friends of um, young people are just best friends. That's just what they are. But the ones who decide to go that bit further and perpetrate violence, um, the victim often can't understand why because they've never come across to them in this kind of manner. And that therefore then makes it harder to report. Totally, to comprehend and to report it. And they blame themselves and they say, what did I do to bring it on? Or a young girl might say, um, it's just because I rejected him or it's because I came on too strong to him because I really liked him. You know, all the time it's just the victim looking at themselves to see their responsibility where it's never their responsibility in it. So I do hope everybody gets the chance to look at this and even keep discussing it and see what can we do to make the future generations safe because that's really what everybody wants. And for people, Mary, who have never spoken about the abuse to anyone, can it have a lasting effect on their lives? It can because, you know, sometimes what keeps them in a nasty, horrible place is the guilt and the shame. You know, they will say they can kind of nearly get over what happened, but they can't get over what he was saying to them as he was doing it. You know, like, you really want this or all this kind of awful stuff they say or the fact that he, you know, he did it in their house. He did it somewhere that was safe to them or somewhere that was safe. It's kind of the guilt and the shame they feel of anybody knowing. And if we can really talk about sexual violence in a black and white way, we can help people get with shame. You know, the same way we talk about somebody getting hit by... um somebody in the street we can talk about it and say we need to do something about that kind of violence but when it comes to sexual violence we need to get rid of the whole bit about the shame it's her shame and we must keep it quiet I totally understand families not wanting their daughters or their sons to report it because they don't want to be known um, forevermore as that rape victim but if we take the shame away from it it's just somebody who's assaulted in a different way to other people do we need our legal system uh, to change? Do we, for example, need stronger penalties for people who are convicted? Oh, t- we need a whole system to change. I mean, the guards are phenomenal compared to before with the protective services units. But I'm in court now next week and I'm there today now with someone and I could be out uh, 40 years ago. No change, nothing, zilch, nothing. You know, you know exactly what's going to happen, exactly where the person who has been raped or abused is the number one witness for the state, won't have seen anything, isn't allowed to see anything, uh, will give her his evidence, and then that's it. That's job done for them and see what happens. And they might have waited three years for this to come up. So they've had it's that hanging old, over ad- their heads for, for three years. It's an old adversarial system which doesn't work. In other jurisdictions, at least a judge starts investigating or kind of gets involved at an early stage to see where this can proceed, how this can progress. Um, But as long as we remain in the system, I really don't see any hope for any further convictions or any change in the legal system. But by the same token, I really do believe in the people kind of going to the guards and reporting it because at least for once, that person who abused you will be held to account even if it doesn't go any further. Somebody will be questioning that guy and holding him to account for his behaviour and sometimes that changes things. Okay, and just while I have you on the line, it's a story that I've I just spotted coming out from the PSNI, uh, the police service in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, they've said that 88 alleged stalkers have been arrested since their new legislation was introduced and their new legislation was introduced um, this time last year, uh, making stalking uh, 
a, a crime and since then 47 people have been charged but they've 88 alleged stalkers have been arrested and I know I've spoken with you before about our stalking laws uh, where are we at here with that? Well I think they're hoping to have them in by this by um the summer, like it might be a bit longer, it might be after the summer, but they're ready to go. And I think that will make a huge change because when we started um, highlighting stalking with Una and Eve, we've had a couple of hundred people make contact with us from all over the country. And I know the Crime Victims Helpline in Dublin, if they get any queries about stalking, they refer straight to us. Um, so it's really helped them because they do want to go in and report to the guards and have some kind of way where somebody in authority will go and stop these people from doing it by just saying, we're watching you, this is a crime now and this behaviour has to stop. And sometimes that's enough to stop it. What I would like to say people listening is sometimes you can feel helpless. Sometimes I feel helpless and I feel overcome by all that's going on. But And they might think their voice doesn't matter. And I'd like them to know today their voice matters hugely to stop this happening and it matters hugely that victims of sexual violence can say it happened to me and sometimes that's all they need just somebody to listen to them and to say I'm sorry this happened um, and I do believe you often that does phenomenal yeah, yeah. healing and, for them and that's and that's the very same way with with people who are who, with, who are victims of uh, stalking because that report from the Northern Ireland Police Service um, what struck me was they were saying the statistics show that people will have suffered up to 100 incidents of stalking before deciding to report to, to the police and you can imagine the fear and trauma that somebody has been living in if they they can list out 100 incidents where they've been before they've decided to go to the police to say something need to be, needs to be done Absolutely because stalking initially can be so subtle that they question themselves it could be like two young girls who were in recently who said this guy drives up and down the stops outside. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our house every evening. He doesn't get out, he just looks at them and they're really anxious and they feel there's nothing they can do about it because he hasn't approached them, but still he's there and he knows that they're there and they're living on their own. So it can be quite subtle that it takes people time even to think, is this really happening or am I imagining it? So I'm not surprised that you know, it's a hundred times before they do anything and before they feel empowered to be able to go and do anything.
Okay, listen, um, always a pleasure to speak with you, Mary. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Okay, thanks a lot. Good morning to you. you. That is uh, Mary Crilly, who is a co-founder of Cork's Sexual Violence Centre. The Cork Mental Health Foundation is about to open a new social hub in Fomoytown, located on Brian Brew Square. To explain what will be on offer, I'm joined by Kevin McCormack, who is the project lead on the hub. Good morning to you, Kevin. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well, and you're very welcome uh, to the programme. Okay, when people walk through the doors of the hub in Fomoy, what can they expect? What can they expect? Okay, I suppose really, well, uh, okay, so just in terms of the actual physical experience of walking through the door of the hub in Fomoy, you can expect to walk into uh, a nice, homely, comfortable um, environment. Uh, you can expect uh, a nice, warm, friendly welcome from the hosts at the hub. Um, and you can expect to to relax and enjoy, uh, play a few board games, have a game of cards, have a cup of tea, have a cup of coffee, listen to a bit of music. Um, and yeah, just just feel safe and happy to be there. And is it aimed, Kevin, at people with or without a mental health diagnosis? Okay, so... Basically, what I've been saying to people all along is that, no, you don't have to have a diagnosis, right? Uh, also, you don't have to be um, a, a service user uh, to use the hub, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, really, kind of in a nutshell, what we're about, Patricia, is that we're there to serve any adults who strive to take the best possible care of their mental health. And we're there to especially serve those who find it a struggle to do that. Yeah, and the whole idea of, you know, going into a place like the hub, it allows people in this very safe environment to open up and talk and maybe people who struggle to open up and talk to a family member or a close friend. A hundred percent. And I suppose the truth of it is like, is that, you know, I'm a firm believer myself that, you know, um, the best thing that you can present any human being in dif- in any kind of difficulty is another human being. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and again, you know, you would have had this conversation. I can when I was actually in the premises there a couple of weeks back, doing a bit of work on it. And Joe Heffernan was on with you, and you were talking about socialization and getting back out there after after the pandemic and everything else. Um, you know, it is it is a fact. I mean, socialization is is really, really it's it's very important to to us. Like, you know, I mean, interacting with others, you know, it boosts our feelings of well-being. It decreases our feelings of depression. So it's that kind of a space. And I suppose the truth is that, you know, while you're in there, you you have you know that you're amongst peers in mm. that uh, the com- the common ground is that, you know, you're doing your best to try to, to try care to try to take care of your mental health. Is there a lot of support locally for the initiative, Kevin? There is huge support locally. Um, I mean, I kind of I had it in my head with a with a, I've had it in my head with a long time to to roll something like this out in Fromoy Town, um, and I my first my first port of call was Brendan McCarthy, uh, CEO at Cork Mental Health Foundation. Brendan was 100% behind it. Uh, so then, you know, we went and found, a, identified a premises, which, you know, timing is everything, as they say. The premises was, was vacated on a Monday. 
I viewed it on a Tuesday and we had the lease signed on a Thursday. Huh. Uh, so that's that's kind of how quickly it moved. Well, it kind of had to move that quickly as well, Patricia, because the truth of it is, I suppose, one thing that Brendan and I agreed on uh, when we met back in January was that, you know, if we do do this, that it's got to have its own front door. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did want it. I did want it to have its own its own premises, its own front door, its sign up over the door. And this is the hub, you know. So we got we got moving on that. So there was so I, you know, got got full backup of Cork Mental Health Foundation. Then I set about kind of taking a look at what needed to be done to the place. And, you know, I got uh, the, 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 the response was just absolutely phenomenal in local businesses, uh, just in terms of doing the renovation of the premises. Toss Brown sponsored the, our, all of our paint inside and out. Uh, Dairy Gold Co-op, the superstore in Formoy here, they support, they sponsored a water heater, OC signs in Cork, sponsored our door sign. Uh, Mike Jordan did the tiling, Pat Buckley did the plumbing, Hagerty Fabrics gave us some fabric, Dennis O'Manis gave us the mats for my community health project, came on board, gave us a few bits and pieces, and the Corporate Social Responsibility Committee at San Mina are, are sponsoring us as well. So, uh, and that And that is even completely away from... Um, the the support that I've gotten, uh, you you know, I know with that we could say a lot of negative things about social media, but I created a page for the hub, uh, went on Facebook and put just put out the shout. Here's a list of what I need, and you know, within days, I had everything that I needed to to finish the place out. It was absolutely a phenomenal response. But again, you know. Cork Mental Health Foundation enjoys um, enjoys great uh, support does, in the locality it anyway. It's, you know? it's, it's incredible. And are you basing it on a concept that you saw somewhere else, Kevin, or it was just a, a completely original idea of yours? Well, I suppose, you know, you could argue that there's no such thing as, a, as an original idea anyway, <laughs> right? But uh, I suppose, you know what it is, what you do find popping up around the place uh, are what they call crisis cafes, right? Mm-hmm. I know, for example, that that Cork Mental Health Foundation are are very close to opening their uh, the, the the Solace Cafe in Cork City Centre, um, which is basically about crisis intervention. There's another one then, which is uh, you know I know of one that's across. We'll say from the the University Hospital in Galway, there are some um, former. Um, college friends of mine who who work in there and they're about crisis intervention so this really those are sort of places really where people come uh, if they're in immediate difficulty um you know um and they can be signposted or they can be accompanied to hospitals or whatever or to get the help that they need uh the whole idea of the hub is that what we're looking at doing patricia is just its support through socialization so while the hub is not a crisis intervention service um the volunteers there and I have a, a, an, an amazing team of volunteers uh, accrued so far and we're still recruiting um, all of our volunteers you know they they are trained to to support somebody who does in the event of somebody you know presenting who is in crisis they are trained to support them but it, it's in essence it is not a crisis intervention centre it is purely about uh, socialisation and you, you obviously have had no problems getting people to come forward to work as volunteers because it will be volunteer-led, won't it? Oh, it, it will be 100% volunteer-led. I'm a volunteer myself, you know. Okay. Um, and I suppose, truthfully, sort of when I got the green light from, from Cork Mental Health Foundation, um, I knew straight away, I, I had I had 
some people in mind myself who I knew that I would want to approach, people who I know who have um, who have an interest in community, people who already do a, a bit of volunteering, people who have an interest in mental health. I mean, some of our volunteers, a bit, like the volunteers that we have, they come from a variety of backgrounds. Um, some have mental health backgrounds, others come, you know, with a peer support qualification, uh, social work, youth and community work, that kind of thing. No, and you don't have to have a qualification to volunteer. But I suppose what I what I wanted to do was just to uh, start get the project off the ground, get the wheels off the runway with volunteers that were kind of already in the field, if you get me, uh, who would have an understanding of uh, the aims and objectives and who would be you know uh, who would be well who would be well positioned to, to uh, you know to, to to basically hit the ground running as a volunteer. And while it's as I mentioned in the introduction, it's in Brambrew Square in Formoy. Is it just for the mm. people of Formoy, or from people from outside the area? Can they also pop in? You can come from anywhere. Can you? Great. We don't. We 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 don't. We're we're we've always been very welcoming in Formoy, and the hub will be absolutely no different. I suppose the. The great thing about Formoy, Patricia, is that, um, you know, it's on a great artery just in terms of accessing the town, you know. So, um, you know, we have the 245 bus that goes through stops, you know, several times a day, you know, coming from the Cork side, coming from the coming from the Mitchellstown side and that. Um, we, we also have the, the local link buses which tie which which come in and out we'll say from sort of from west waterford and from back out towards mallow and that so uh we're kind of we're hoping that you know we will get people coming from people coming from far and wide really yeah you know yeah and um, your your, yeah. your opening hours so basically how 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 it works um i suppose it's important to say that we're not running um what we call an open door policy patricia on it um, it's it's a membership. Um, you know, we're running it on a membership basis. Now, membership is free, but if anybody is interested in becoming a member or finding out more about what's involved, they can contact myself. And what I'm doing is, any you know, any anybody who is interested in becoming a member, I'm meeting them on a one-to-one basis initially, uh, just to, you know, so that they get a get a good idea of what it is that 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 the hub is about so what we're doing is initially what we're doing Patricia is we're opening on Friday and Saturday evenings from seven o'clock to nine and as the as the volunteer base grows we'd be hoping to we'd be hoping to extend those hours as well maybe into Sundays and bank holiday Mondays which are which can be you know difficult times for those that are that are feeling anyway isolated or you know that are I, you know, I, just, I think all. this initiative is absolutely terrific, uh, Kevin. And what I hope is that it is the start of what I would love to see would be hubs like the one in Formoy popping up and opening up all over the country. Because, because if you think about it, I mean, the timing couldn't be better. So many people have struggled with their mental health throughout the pandemic. Oh, throughout throughout the pandemic and and beyond, Patricia, you know, I think that I suppose just you know the truth of it is is that really the peer support re- is is really where recovery is at, you know, um, and I think that 
you know, the more people can get out and, you know, and yourself and Joe were chatting about it there a couple of weeks back. I was painting or something and I was actually talking back to the radio. I was having a conversation <laughs> with you about it, right? A lot of people do that, going, Kevin. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, genuinely, I, I was there kind of going, yeah, that's it. He's spot on. He's spot on. He's spot on. This, this, this is what it's about. It's not complicated at all, at all, Patricia, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and really, you know, all, all, all that we're offering it's just, it's a space. It's somewhere where you can come because it's fair, like there's a kind of a double-edged sword as well here, just in terms of isolation slash, you know, mental health difficulties. Men- having, you know, mental ill health is a very lonesome station. I can tell you that from my own experience. And you can have the world around you. You can have the love and support of great family and, you know, wives and husbands and kids. And but really, it's a, it, it is, a, you know, it's a it's a lonesome furrow to plough, as they say. Right. Um, and it, it can be it can be quite isolating. Um, and equally, those who are feeling isolated, which, you know, has been the case since the pandemic and before it as well. I mean, all throughout, you know, our, our wider rural area, there's a lot of people on their own and they're maybe farming small holdings and stuff and their entire life is is on that holding or whatever. And they're isolated. And in turn, then the isolation can, you know, bring about challenges just around your, around their mental health, like just around depression and anxiety and that. So it, as I said, it's not, com- it's not complicated. It's, it's a simple, it's a simple concept. You come, you sit down, have a cup of tea or coffee, play a game of cards, play board games. I have a dartboard in there. I have a few, you know, it's, it's just, it really is just about interacting and it's about, socialization it's about having an outlet because the pub isn't for everybody yeah, we we've we've yeah. we've a, 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 an outstanding and peculiar and an often ridiculous pub culture in ireland and but it's just not for everybody you know yeah, yeah and, and and i can also out of it kevin i can see almost friendships you know, somebody meeting somebody at the hub, then yeah. say, God, I'll meet you in Formoy and Mallow, wherever. I meet, we'll meet for coffee during the week. You, you could see that coming out of this. Oh, 100%. I, I actually had, uh, I, I had a, a conversation, I've been having conversations with people who are, who are looking to become members. And again, I stress membership is free. It really, it is just, as I said, it's about, you know, just making sure that the space is being used by people who need it. Um, but I had a conversation with a chap who was uh, looking to become a member of chatting the other day. And he he said that, you know, he said, you know, what would be great for me out of this would be uh, if I were to make a friend or two that, you know, that I could meet someone and go for, a, that I could go for a cup of coffee with somebody yeah. or go for a walk with somebody. And I suppose it's just to give, you know, um, that's the fantastic thing about it. Like, you know, that, that, that to me would be, you know, and to all of us involved and all of the volunteers and Brendan McCarthy, the CEO of Cork Mental Health, you know, if that comes out of it, that would be, that, that would be absolutely phenomenal because it would, you know, it's just to provide that sort of, that, that sort of environment within which people can kind of maybe let their guard down a little bit, sort of feel comfortable, feel safe, chat with somebody, maybe find a bit of common ground and they may connect then outside of the social evenings at the hub. Yeah, you know, I know. That, I mean, that, we've, that, that, that'd be brilliant. We've seen the, yeah. the government do and the HSE do the big push for older people, particularly after COVID when all that cocooning was happening. And I understand why mm. it had to happen. We were trying to keep everybody uh, safe, but it just made people, uh, it made so many 
many people so isolated and as you say the knock on of that then can be a decline in somebody's uh, mental health who never suffered from mm. depression or anxiety before and I know there's been a big push to try to get older people uh, to come back out but this has to go right across all age groups and all generations you know big beautiful world out there people need, need to get out but it can just be hard to make that first move and that's what the hub is all about so how can people sign up uh, Kevin to take part in the hub so uh, basically um, what you can do is you could we we have a Facebook page for anybody that's on Facebook it's the hub for my you'll find us okay. um, if you search it, if you search for it on Facebook um, you can email um, hub for my at gmail.com okay. and the telephone number for the hub is 083 Okay, we've made a note of that. We'll keep that on file as well. But the hub uh, for Moy on Facebook or on uh, Mm. Gmail. Kevin, we wish you the best of luck with it. Will you keep in contact with us and let us know how it goes? And if we can be of any help, if you're looking for anything and you want us to give a shout out, uh, we'd be only too happy uh, to help you in any way. Patricia, I promise you, I, I, as you've said that now, I will have you absolutely tormented. <laughs> All right. And, and you brought it on yourself. <laughs> Listen, you have a good day. Best of luck with it. It's a great initiative. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks very much, Bye-bye, Patricia. bye-bye. That's uh, the lovely Kevin uh, McCormick. And we wish everybody luck with the Hub in Formoy officially. Um, well, not officially, but it is going to open its doors on this uh, Friday night, Brian Bruce Square in Formoy. And I know we did have a few calls in from people because they saw this sign going up saying the Hub Formoy and people were wondering what it was. That is what it is all about. It's about helping people uh, with their mental health. Good luck to everybody who will walk through the doors of the Hub in Formoy. We had a WhatsApp in earlier on this morning from a Killarney listener who was visiting Mallow at the weekend and she wanted me to mention about a young lady who was singing outside the church and she sang, she said in her own language, she didn't know what nationality she was, but she said she just had a gorgeous voice and she was so taken by her that she took time out to call us this morning just to acknowledge this young woman and I was wondering, does anybody know who the lady was? Well, somebody has come on to say, Patricia, the girl that was singing outside St Mary's Church on Saturday in Mallow was a girl called Natalie and she She's from Ukraine. Now, I don't know if it was part of the Okana Fest because I know the Okana Fest was on at the weekend or not, but well done. If anybody knows Natalie, can you say that we were giving her a shout out and that she certainly made our Killarney listener who was visiting Mallow on Saturday. She certainly made her day. Her singing was described as being beautiful. So well done to Natalie. And then we've had a huge reaction to another text that I got in earlier this morning from Joan. And I'll remind you of Joan's text. Joan contacted us uh, to say she was particularly interested in other women's views to do with the Tenna ads that are on TV at the moment. The one where the woman is sitting on the toilet quite obviously going to the loo and she's displaying the pad and Joan feels that this ad has just taken it a step too far and she goes so far as to say it's an invasion of a woman's privacy she said all we're short of now is the woman showing us putting the pad onto her underwear. Joan says, I'm not old fashioned by any stretch of the imagination, but I feel in particular that this ad is over the top. And she asked me to call out her text just to see, do others agree or disagree? Well, we had a slew of texts, Joan, and I can't find one who's disagreeing with you. Una says the ad for those uh, tenor pads are bad enough. But what about the one, says Una, for the ladies' razors? 
that's currently on TV. All we're short of now is uh, one of the ladies removing their underwear while they're shaving on the TV ad. Sitting down to watch TV and have our dinner when some of these ads come on. There's also an ad for Viagra at the moment, said Una. Is there an age limit on the purchasing of Viagra? I have no idea. I don't know if the, the, and the shaving one yet springs to mind. I'll have to look out for it. I've seen the Viagra one, but I don't. I'll have to watch it properly now to see would anyone take offence from it. Eleanor is in Carrigaline. She just wants to point out with regard to Tenna, these Tenna pads, which are obviously for women who are struggling with incontinence. She says, let us not forget that men also suffer from incontinence and they also need to use incontinence pads. So Eleanor is wondering for the people like Joan who are giving out about it, would you rather see a man in one of these ads inside in the bathroom talking about his uh, tenna pads because let's remember men and women uh, use them. Hi, hi Trish on the tenna ad absolutely agree with Joan. Have we stooped that low that we need to use an ad like this to sell a product? Good woman Joan for bringing it to our attention and that's just signed a regular listener. Burr says totally agree with Joan this morning. I'm not approved but I cringe when I see that tenna ad come on the uh, TV. Thank God I don't yet need to need, use Tenet products, says Burr, but I do find this ad annoying and I think it is invasive of a woman's uh, privacy. And someone else says, Joan is so right about the Tenet ad. There's no need to go to such extremes to advertise products. She's dead right to highlight it on your programme today. The woman on the loo is letting herself and decent women down, even though it's just a portrayal. Uh, listen, at the end of the day, that's she's an actress who's, get, who's getting paid to act. I mean, I wouldn't be knocking the actual woman herself. But anyway, um, it's the producers behind the ad and the product in the, itself, I suppose, is the one that you should be giving out to. Anyway, this texture says, do we really need to see her positioned in such a way on a loo in order to buy one of these pads? One buys pads if one needs them for flips sake is nothing private these days and also uh, and lots should be regarding bodily dignity of a woman says the texter there's no name on that Fran is in Art Patrick and she's taking time out to call us on this one uh, good afternoon uh, Fran good afternoon Patricia now I take it you've seen these tenor pads ads I have yeah what do, are you with Joan or are you are we all over the top 100% and all the other women uh, listen women have had um, leakage problems, very small, but leakage problems ever, ever since God was a child because of the, the uh, after effects of pregnancy and so on. But I really think that we totally, with social media advertising and so on, we just, we bare face everything. There is no privacy for anybody in any subject anymore. And I think that all these um, body products can be advertised perfectly well without using, you know, the actual, uh, uh, even if I know it's she's acting and it's fake, but without that. I mean, you, do you want someone to see you sitting on the toilet? Anybody, nobody does. Animals don't when they go to the toilet. You know, we just invade privacy for everything. And I think it is atrocious. I think we've become, um, they treat everybody through the adverts, although we're in the fields that we don't know and we don't understand, but we do. 
Yeah, I, you know, I, I so think. I, yeah, I think, and I think you're making a valid point. You know, when 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 women, not all women, but when a lot of women get to a certain age, it's all to do with our pelvic floor, and we should have been doing our pelvic exactly. floor exercises and all of that. But when women get to a certain age, and it it is an issue that does affect a lot of women, and as somebody pointed out, it affects men as well. So therefore, you know that you need these products, and you go and you go and you buy them. It's a little bit like you know the the ad for tampons or any sort of period products if you need them you, you go and buy does, does it need to be so graphic but what I'm wondering is it to do with at one stage I'm open to correction on this but at one stage I think Tenor were probably the only products that was available now you can see them supermarket owned brands have come out are they pushing that much to get their message across yes I would say it is it's all about money it's not about it's not about the comfort of a woman yeah, um, it's all about money because, unfortunately, money and greed makes the world go round. Yeah, and actually, that razor, that shaving ad that somebody have you seen that lady's one where she's doing her private bits? I mean, she gets really close up on the ad. Oh, you know, all we need is, is to drop her underwear and, and show us doing the full thing. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah, and what, and and would you describe yourself normally as prudish, Fran? Completely not. Completely <laughs> not. I, I I grew up as a vet's daughter. I have seen um, <laughs> um, animals and people, because I'm a chiropractor too. Animals and people and bodies and and everything all my life. Uh, but everybody needs to have a little bit of decorum and decency. Uh, there is an old saying that when you go to hospital, you hang up your dressing gown with your dignity on the door um, because, you know, you're in a medical situation and everything's bared. But even nurses and doctors are kinder to people than those graphic ads. Yeah, and 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 you're right, and and you know when when you have to go into a medical environment, and none of us we're not great about. I mean, unless you're a nudist, um, we're not great about that about exposing ourselves. And you're always very conscious. But as you say, when you're in a medical setting, it's very different. But does you know do we need to have it in our faces? No, as somebody said, when they were we, sit, we sitting down have to have dinner without showing rotten, broken teeth. Um, so. You know, that'll be the next thing. They'll get more and more graphic for everything. And it's terrible. Yeah, and I suppose unless we call it out as Joan has done, it will get more graphic. They'll keep pushing the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Completely. And in the meantime, keep practising your pelvic floor exercises. (laughs) 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 Have a good afternoon, Fran. And and thanks for contacting us. 0818-103-103. And then there's some reaction to Oris Anukhtaron. When I was talking about the president and uh, Sabina Higgins and bless their hearts, they're suffering the heartache of losing their much-loved dog abroad. I tied it in with the fact that there was a piece in the paper today that the president and Sabina Higgins mightn't just be getting a new dog if they decide to get another dog to keep the other little fella uh, company. But 
but they may be getting some new housemates because there is a call from the Minister of State with responsibility for the Office of Public Works, who obviously has the responsibility for Orson Uchtaron. They're going to write to the President to say, would he be interested? And obviously, I assume Sabina will be in on it as well. Would he be interested in housing some Ukrainian refugees? Because there are a number of bedrooms. There are five empty bedrooms, at least in the property. There are over 90 rooms in Orson Uchtaron. But of course, many of those are used for official events so they couldn't turn all the over 90 rooms into accommodation. But there are at least five empty bedrooms that could be used to house Ukrainian refugees. And I knew when I mentioned it, I, I was thinking to myself, will this lead to people saying, what about our own? And it has. John says the president should have said, I'm very much welcoming one Irish family that currently finds themselves living in emergency accommodation and one Ukrainian family into the or- Oris. He could have led by example, but it's not voluntary at this stage if the president has been written to to ask if he will open up the Oris uh, for refugees. Well, in fairness, he did say at one stage, he previously, when we when he was asked, well, he was obviously speaking at some event, and when he was speaking about the Ukrainian refugees that were coming into this country, I imagine back in the early days when they were asking people to throw open their homes, he did say at that stage that he would be willing to house refugees, but he felt it wasn't his decision. Now, he's very much been brought into that uh, discussion. So uh, I think it's wrong, John, for you to say that he didn't willingly open the door. He did mention it before, but has he ever offered to house an Irish family? Uh, no, uh, simply not. I, that's, well, I certainly haven't haven't heard it. And someone else making the same point. What about our own families? Irish families that are um, homeless. For the Could the president not take in some of the Irish families? Uh, Leo Varadkar has taken in a non-national. Has he forgotten about Irish citizens? And someone else says, Patricia, what about our own? I'm sure they would love a room in ours on Uchtaron. I'm not racist, says this texter, but this is going a bit too far. I was in Waterford last week and I saw an elderly lady with everything she owns in bags. And I thought to myself, what in God's name have we become that we can treat one of our own, an elderly person like this? And all everybody seems to be concerned about are people arriving from other countries. We have the Irish Refugee G Council to look after people from other countries who's looking after the Irish people. I hope again I don't sound racist but I've seen buses collecting Ukrainians from hotels to bring them to appointments yet we have to call on volunteers to collect our own people to bring them to hospital appointments. That's the difference with helping our own. I think we've done enough as a country. Uh, and that's from this. There's no name on uh, that. OK. And as I say, I knew as soon as I would mention that the Oris may be, may be used. We don't know yet if it's going to go ahead or not. Um, people will inevitably always say, what about our own? 0818 103 103. John Paul, uh, taking your calls, you can text, you can WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Bingo is on in Chambalimore Community Centre. It's every Tuesday night, so it's on tomorrow night at 8 with a jackpot of €1,450. Do you need help with reading, writing, spelling or numeracy? Or do you know somebody that needs help? If so, please contact the Mallow Adult Learning Centre for more information. Their number is 022-42642 and they're located on the top floor of the parish uh, centre. 
and an information evening of well-being will be held in Gert Vera Hall in Ballinin. It's happening this Thursday night at 8.15 with guest speakers on the night and admission will be free. And uh, Dukas Glanakilty Heritage issue, are issuing an open invitation to their next le- lecture, which is The Ravages of War Stand Out on Every Hand. France and the reconstruction of the devastated regions of the First World War. The lecture will be given by Dr. Gorod Barry, University of Galway, happening Thursday night at half past eight. Connacilty GAA Pavilion, a five euro cash entry fee, please, on the door on the night. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. And I don't want to be making in light of incontinence in any way but I have to say this ad that or this cartoon that somebody sent in did make me laugh and it's a it's a cartoon drawing of two bats hanging upside down as bats do when they're they're going to sleep with one bat saying do you know what I fear most about old age and the other bat saying no what and the first bat says incontinence <laughs> the way that they have to sleep upside down I have to say that did make me uh, smile okay lots still more lots of texts coming totally agree with uh, Joan on the tenor ad uh, she reckons that the uh, pubic shaving ad is a lot worse than the t- the tenor ad the girls in Drumahan thinks that tenor ad is a disgrace Liz says yes I agree uh, with everyone about the person sitting on the toilet it's a disgrace my husband said only the same thing recently and is wondering what will we be seeing next in an ad uh, somebody having sex is that what they'll be advertising uh, next then somebody says uh, hi Patricia there was a programme which name which who, which name escapes me it was like a naked camera show and it was Doreen Geraghty Carl Mullen and Donica O'Callaghan and in one of the hidden cameras they had Donica they had the lift door opening I remember the particular programme they had the lift door opening and Donica was sitting in like the hallway of the hotel or the business, whatever it was, sitting on the toilet, reading the newspaper with his underwear down around his ankles when the people opened the door of the lift. That's what they were confronted with. Didn't hear anybody complain about that programme. But maybe it's just the ad is going a bit too far, by the way. I haven't seen the ad yet. And I suppose the difference with that TV programme, the hidden camera programme was it was on TV and then it was off. You know, you saw it once and whatever. And did people take offence to it? Maybe they did. I don't know. We certainly, you're right, we didn't get any calls about it but the um, the one with the ten ladies and the, sh- the ladies razors it's on the whole time I think that's what people are most objecting uh, to and then Mary is commenting on the Viagra ad uh, and Mary uh, says, with regard to the Viagra ad, I realise it is a serious medical problem that does need medication to treat the problem. I don't have any complaint with the ad. The way it's played out, we have a male and a female voice and the man wants to go to bed early if you get my drift. And the lady gives an excuse like, no, I've eaten too much. I don't feel like it. I just laugh out loud when I hear it. I Obviously, her headache has gone away, says uh, Mary. I'll have to watch that. I have seen the Viagra ad. I've just never taken a lot of, of looked at it closely because uh, thankfully I haven't had, had no reason to buy Viagra. <laughs> Husband would be delighted to hear me saying that. Anyway, I will take, I will definitely take a look at that ad. Now, if you've got any questions for 
Annalise Dressel, our nutritional therapist. Can you get those into us, please? 0818103103. And I also want to give a quick mention because we're always talking about housing and talking about the housing situation and particularly talking about people who are desperately either trying to get on the property ladder or people who are trying to get out of living in emergency accommodation, like trying to raise a family in a hotel room. So I was thrilled to read in the papers today that over half of the houses that were sold to first time buyers under the local authority affordable purchase scheme were actually bought here in Cork. And this is terrific for both Cork City Council and Cork County Council. Now, they're they're not a huge number, but for all of the individual families, they really are important. New figures have come out from the Department of Housing. There was 323 affordable houses purchased through this scheme last year. And when you dig into the figures, 173 of them were here in Cork. I just wish that number was in thousands rather than in the hundreds. Cork City Council sold 135 of the affordable homes and in the county it was 38. Now that was the scheme that was launched as part of the government's housing for all strategy and it makes new homes available for purchase at a reduced price and then in return of course the local authorities they receive a stake in the new home which is equal to whatever the discount was that was provided. Cork City Council said a sales process for a further 135 homes is under Underway, but Cork County Council are really taking off because they say they've got plans for a further 600 in the pipeline. And I saw on the examiner today, Paul Sheehan of the Cork Simon community, who we've spoken with numerous times on the programme. He's very much welcoming the figures and he says the fact that both local authorities provided over half of the scheme's national supply is really, really impressive for Cork City and County Council. And he says any initiative that prevents people from going into emergency accommodation has to be welcomed. However, he's also pointing to the number of people already in emergency accommodation. And then we can add to that the numbers of people who are currently living with a notice to quit and who in the coming weeks and months will be moving into emergency accommodation. Cork, would you believe, has the highest number of people in emergency accommodation outside of Dublin. Now, I suppose people will say we're the second biggest uh, city, but there are more than 500 people requiring uh, support, according to the latest figures here in Cork. Paul Sheehan said the local authorities' affordable purchase scheme is just one small part of the housing scheme that ultimately is broken and it isn't meeting the needs of our population. Now, the scheme is targeted at first-time buyers. First-time buyers are on a moderate income with eligibility rules requiring the potential buyers uh, to have not previously bought or built a property that they lived in. Now, there are some exceptions, like, for example, Fresh Starts. These are applicants who say were previously have owned a house through a relationship. They're no longer in the relationship, maybe a marriage breakdown, for example. Or people who went through bankruptcy, they get a kind of a a second uh, chance. And people have to be within, you know, this strict criteria on how much people can uh, can earn. But... Well done. Let's let's applaud Cork City and County Council for doing well. But of course, more needs to be done. 0818103103. Questions, please, for Annalise. Text or WhatsApp your questions to 0862. 103103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie. 
Eggfoilemach Quidenanihe is Farlin. Shae Troer C103 Air Kirkig. Is there in Devil Yaston Gahiraho Elizabeth Fort? Agasterter Gwicha or Chandos Nasampli is Far, the Loon Reltochrahoch, on Shachtu Hishdiak. Kigger Atogoche Harnablianta, Hogalord on Doon on Giatlaw Ria Fos Lefeshkint, Atogoch, a Doos Borde, Sivlian Shadiak Sahayan, when Sultas Rarkana Untocha Erchahar Kurki, O Ali Nununta, Agastok Truss, Hunfalum Vestaran Duin, Agas Nakaharach. Hodeshna Green Grafadorach, the Untochal, Marshin Nafog, Gan Selfie Hogan. Nukta, Quid Denaneha, is Fari Gorkik, C103. Because you've enough to be worrying about, we've launched Toyota Relax, our new service activated warranty. Whether you bought your Toyota from us, a classified ad, or your auntie, once it's less than 10 years old with under 185,000 kilometers, you'll get a 12 month warranty with every Toyota service. There's no catch. You don't even need to have serviced with us before. For more, search Toyota Relax. Toyota, built for a better world. Terms and conditions apply. Are you a qualified bus driver looking for a new opportunity in County Cork? Barry's Coaches Limited are now recruiting fully qualified bus drivers for local link and school transport services. Take the first step towards an exciting new career with competitive salaries, great benefits and flexible scheduling. Apply now at Barry's Coaches Limited. Email info at barryscoaches.com. Get ready for amazing deals at JJ's Appliances this weekend. It's a massive clearance sale with huge discounts on washing machines, dryers, dishwashers, cookers, fridges, TVs, laptops and more. Upgrade your home with amazing prices and deals from JJ's Appliances and come meet their dedicated staff for advice on the best products for you. Doors open at 9.30 sharp this Friday and Saturday. Don't miss out on amazing deals. A visit to JJ's Appliances Canturk and JJ's Appliances.ie is a must. Hi, Kieran here from the Hibernian Hotel and Leisure Centre in Mallow. If you're looking for a beautiful venue to celebrate your beautiful wedding, come talk to us about our refurbished ballroom. We have a dedicated wedding coordinator to ensure your day is perfect and all your needs are looked after. Come meet with us today to look around, view our packages and discuss your day that dreams are made of. We look forward to welcoming you to the heart of Mallow. Visit hibernianhotelmallow.com. Patricia, with your comment. 0818 103 103. Can you talk to me? Cork Today on C103. Um, You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. We're off to the Health Hub Times Square in Ballancolic where Annalise Drissel uh, joins us. Good afternoon to you, Annalise. Good afternoon, Patricia. Uh, and before we get into uh, questions that are, are pouring in for you, you want to mention an eye test that you're doing at the shop. Is it this Thursday? This coming so we've done this before there's a nutritional therapist has this fantastic machine that she can use to measure the level of damage done at the back of the eye from uv light and blue light so it's a great kind of predictor of degeneration including not just macular now but all types of degeneration and it's 25 euros and there's a few appointments left if people want to come just ring the shop and we'll book them in Okay, well done and good luck to everybody uh, attending that. Now, Sheila Killarney was on to us. Has Annalise heard of a product called Cymaproof Probiotic, which she recommended? It's very expensive. Yeah, so it is, um, I think, Simproof, I think is, is, Simproof, is the name okay. of it. Um, and it is very expensive, Patricia. And it's basically a kind of a, like a live probiotic. So it comes in liquid form and the probiotics in it are live. We don't stock it here in the shop because we really don't have a, for the fridge space for it. In terms of feedback from people who've tried it, some people swear by it and some people 
don't get a good result. The main issue with probiotics is that they're not going to fix everything. So if you have a disruption of bacteria in your gut and you take a probiotic that contains the ones that will bring it back into balance, you'll see a great benefit. But if they don't have the the ones that you specifically need for your gut, you probably might notice any benefit at all. And the same goes for the other one that people are recommended to take a lot, which is Alflurex. That has been, um, um, for some people, has been a life changer. But in my own experience, it works can work well for people who get a lot of IBS diarrhea, but it doesn't do much for anybody else. And actually, lots of other probiotics have just equally as good a benefit. So I'd say to the person, if they wanted to give it a try, certainly it's a good quality product. Um, it's a very good quality product. But if it doesn't fix your issues, then it's, you know, don't continue on it because um, it's not, if it's not working after a month, it's not going to work. Okay, it's a sad uh, text in from Sarah. My sister is going through an eating disorder at the moment. What would be the best vitamins and supplements that you'd recommend for her to take? She has had bloods done recently and they're all okay at the moment. Well, that's fantastic um, if the bloods are okay because a lot of the time the the, the calories are so restricted um, that nutrients can be restricted as well. So generally a multivitamin is probably the most basic level um, I could, I would, and also because people with eating disorders generally their digestion has been massively impacted due to the calorie restriction. It's very difficult for them to kind of digest and absorb because their bodies are out of doing it. So taking um, a, a multivitamin that would be in liquid form, like um, the Oxalent is one I would highly recommend for this because it's in a sachet. It's very low calories to no calories, so it's not an issue for people with eating disorders to take it. It's very, very well absorbed in the body, so they'll have their best chance of getting those nutrients into them. Um, Now, the only thing it doesn't contain is iron, so that would be something that could be an issue as well for people with an eating disorder if they're restricting meat, for example. Um, The other thing that's hugely restricted is the fats, the omega-3 fats, would be really important, but it's such a difficult one, Patricia, because generally, depending on the type of um, eating disorder, Fat phobia is, is a big part of that and calories, they, they don't like to take fats in because they're high in calories. And the only way I could describe it, I suppose, with the brain, if you don't have the good fats going into a brain for an eating disorder, the side of the brain that controls the eating disorder, which is almost like its own separate personality telling you what to do, that becomes bigger and you're not feeding the side of the brain that you know brings it back into balance. So it becomes more and more difficult to break an eating disorder the more and more you starve the brain of nutrients. So I think a fish oil would be very important if you could get that in. Um, A capsule, and I always stress that they're not high in calories, a capsule would have less than 10 calories in there and can make a massive difference in terms of your ability to kick the disorder and to keep the mood up. Okay, good advice. And and Sarah, good luck uh, to your sister. It's a a tough journey, not just for the person going through the eating disorder, uh, but for their loved ones uh, looking on as well. Okay, stay. Somebody's looking for your advice on Revive Active. What what do you make of Revive Active? Is it good? Yeah, fantastic product. Um, It really is. um, It's got fantastic nutrients in there and some very expensive ones in there as well. Um, So I could highly recommend it. The only thing I would say is that it's not always um, the right thing for everybody. For example, there's an awful lot of um, coenzyme Q10 in there, arginine, citrulline. These are great for energy for people who are doing an awful lot of exercise and they're also brilliant for heart health as you get older. But for a 30-year-old that's not doing a lot of exercise, you're probably spending a lot 
on nutrients that your body don't doesn't necessarily need. So other multivitamins could be useful. But we recommended the Revive Active a lot after um, COVID for people, and people did find it very, yeah. very good, and yeah. they swear by it. So I can recommend that. And for we, sure. had, we had a lot of people coming back in, say, coming to us saying the same thing. Okay, Liz is on saying my nails are very thin, and they keep cracking in the middle. What would you recommend? I've tried oils, etc., but having no luck so far. Okay, so the first thing I would normally ask is, um, do you get heartburn and do you find it hard to digest meat? Do you feel it sits there forever? Because we need a good, strong, healthy stomach acid to break down uh, our protein. Most protein digestion actually happens in the stomach and you need good HCL for that. So sometimes if people's stomach acid is poor, that could be as they get older, it could be genetic, or if people are on an acid blocker, for example, for heartburn. Um, then they might be breaking their proteins down. And the first one of the first places that will show that will be in the nails. They'll become brittle and they'll become weak. So in, in cases like that, I normally recommend a digestive enzyme that has got some HCL in there to support your own stomach acid. And there'll also be protein digesting enzymes in it as well that will help you break down your protein. Not to be taken if you've got any inflammation in the stomach like ulcers or if you've got very painful heartburn. Um, but that generally will sort nails out at the root of the problem. Biotin is another fantastic nutrient for hair and nails. You need to take it in quite a high strength. So I know that um, Maconta have a very good one. Salgar do one at, um, at a very high strength one as well. And you need to wait about six weeks because you'll notice it'll be the new nail coming up that will be good. And it takes about six weeks for the nail to get up to the top. So both of those should sort out the problem. Hi, Annalise. I'm suffering with bad joint, bad pains in my joints. I'm currently going to the menopause. I've got low mood, anxiety, and I've now been told I have a cholesterol reading of 7.1. Any advice, please? The cholesterol okay. is probably the first one, is it? Well, actually, cholesterol will often rise, Patricia, during menopause because cholesterol is a building block for our sex hormones, oestrogen, progesterone. It's also actually a building block for our stress hormone. So, I think with menopause, a lot of women's cholesterol go up. And actually, I see a huge amount of women coming in on a cholesterol tablet and antidepressants. And really what they've needed is HRT. So if you are actually bringing your cholesterol down when you're menopausal, you're probably depriving the body of the building blocks that it does need to to make what's left over of your sex hormones. So I personally wouldn't feel too worried about the cholesterol um, you know, in the short term. Obviously, if it becomes a long-term problem, it needs to be addressed. But in the short term, that's the perfectly good explanation. So what I'd address here would be the menopause, um, the sore joints, the mood, hot flushes, people's skin changes, libido drops, anxiety levels rise, sleep is affected, low energy. I think there's so, there's so many side effects from our dropping estrogen. It just, I do think it makes us super powerful. Um, in fact, um, one of my friends, Patricia, said uh, that that's what, you know, she can't multitask anymore <laughs> since she's perimenopausal. And she said, my God, that's what it must be like to have a man's brain all the time. <laughs> so I think... <laughs> no disrespect to all the men listening. No disrespect. <laughs> but let's face it, most men don't do great at multitasking. Yeah, whereas the women so, do. And women do. So oestrogen uh, really is a superpower of a hormone. So I think putting in plant-based hormones is the answer here. And um, get back to that company, Revive Active. They do a menopause supplement that I've tried myself. It's very, very good. Um, it's called Menoactive. And another lovely one that we sell here in the shop that we have gotten fantastic feedback over the years from is the uh, the Nutri-Advanced Perimenopause Support one. 
So either of those, if you can get the perimenopause support one, it's great, but it's a practitioner one, it might be hard to get your hands on. The Menoactive is fantastic. What you're looking to do really is put back in plant-based hormones and support the body for, um, you know, for the rest for the rest of the things as well. So like they're in the they're in both of those, there's ashwagandha, um, which is fantastic if you've got a very busy, stressful life. In the menu active, there's some DHA, which is great for dryness, um, also good for the brain and mood. Both of them have vitamin B6, which is great for the anxiety and the sore boobs. So they're kind of an all-over product, and I'd suggest staying on them for two months, and hopefully the joint pain will clear up. If not, HRT. Okay, Anthony contacting us by email is uh, currently going through chemotherapy for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wants to know, is there anything you would recommend to boost his immune system? Yeah, it's a difficult one when you're undergoing chemotherapy, Patricia, because doctors don't like you taking much. Um, I do think a vitamin D is probably fine. Again, I'd run all of this by the doctors, by the oncologists. Um, the best thing for supporting the immune system when you're having chemotherapy is mo- are the medic- medicinal mushrooms. And they are perfectly safe to take alongside chemo because they don't interfere with the activity of the chemicals on the cancer tissue. So they're very safe, but doctors in Ireland wouldn't be very familiar with them. Um, there's a company called HIFAS, H-I-F-A-S, Deterra, D-E-T-E-R-R-A. And they're starting to specialize in a range of mushrooms that have been used for integrative cancer therapy. And I've used them with a lot of my customers that have gone through chemo and they definitely have reported way more energy, less hair loss for some, um, appetite, not getting sick, white blood cells remaining high, which is important because if they go too low, you can't continue to get your chemo for a while. Um, And they're fantastic. I can highly recommend them. And I've got information here that I'd be happy to pass on to doctors if necessary so that they can see that they're, you know, they're very safe to use as part of integrative therapy. They'll have to be ordered through a practitioner and they are expensive, but they are... They work. Yeah, they work. They, they absolutely work. Okay. work. And Anthony, good luck on your uh, treatment. Uh, Kathleen wants to know, would you have any advice to reduce sugar cravings? Is there anything you would recommend? Yeah, it's a difficult one, Patricia, because... I think the the best thing to do really is to cut sugar out of your diet for two weeks and then your body actually does readjust and your palate readjusts. But to help you along the way, a couple of things that can help. The first thing, I suppose, is um, chromium. And most people would be familiar with that if they go into a health shop. And cinnamon, both of those can help reduce sugar cravings by helping improve insulin sensitivity. So that, they're both nice ones. Another one I absolutely love is berberine. I'd say a lot of people have been listening um, to um, the news coverage of the new Wigovi drug, which is the, the diabetic uh, one. Yeah, yeah, uh, for, for weight, weight loss. loss. Yeah. So there is another old weight loss, uh, sorry, an old diabetic um, supplement called metformin, which helps improve insulin sensitivity. And actually, that is wonderful for pre-diabetes and is good for weight loss. And berberine is a wonderful mimicker of that drug from a natural perspective. Um, and we've had great success with that in the shop here for sugar cravings. Um, so that's spelled B-E-R-B-E-R-I-N-E, berberine. So berberine, cinnamon, chromium. And the last thing then I'd recommend is NAC. So Viridian do a, a supplement called NAC+. Plus. NAC is N-acetylcysteine, and it's an amazing um, precursor for our detoxifying anti-inflammatory um, and anti-aging hormone. 
Um, so taking it is just fantastic when you're trying to lose a bit of weight because it'll keep the liver ticking over, it'll keep everything ticking over. And the Viridian NAC Plus also has cinnamon and chromium in it. So that's a great one. Take it on an empty stomach if you're trying to diet or if you want to stop sugar cravings. OK, and very finally, Bernadette in West Cork wants to know, do you do one-on-one consultations at the shop? She's interested in finding out about specific diets. Yeah, I do. Um, Patricia, I have a lot of clients come to me for one-on-ones and I do my clinics normally Tuesdays, Wednesdays and Thursdays while I'm in the shop. Uh, I have a little clinic room and uh, so people come into the shop and uh, we can but they need to book in advance OK alright listen have a great week and we'll talk to you thanks next day Patricia. thanks a million that is Annelise Drussell of the Health Hub Times Square in Balancolic and this afternoon on her website healthhubstore.com she'll put up as heard on the radio because she said so much information it can sometimes be hard to remember exactly what she, what she said so you can go to her website healthhubstore.com and I know John Paul also puts it up as a separate web, a separate podcast this afternoon on C103 or wherever you get your podcasts from. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Richards back from his week off. He's with you for the afternoon and we'll talk to you tomorrow at 10 on Slime Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. Today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.